This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 34. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. This is our follow-up, uh, doing a bit of a deep dive into a P&L statement onto IBIDA uh, with Mike and our resident expert, Jonathan. He's ridiculous. I'm not an expert. I'm just another guy in the veterinary industry with experience that continues to learn on a daily basis. Well, well said. I mean, I guess, yes, you're, um, I would say with an interest in, that'd be the way to like skirt around it. Um, I mean, I, you always undersell yourself because I've said this a million times. Like sometimes you just get talking and I'm like, Hey, whoa, dumb it down, dumb it down for the dumb people here. <laughs> No, no, no. It's just, again, time. And this is a thing that I'm really interested in. I think it's really important for veterinary clinics um, to have an understanding of, especially in this day and age and really enjoy teaching it. Yeah. And it has, um, you know, I'm not in the veterinary business space currently and you're just listening, you know, and you hear different newspaper articles and different things where it's like, oh, this huge company is getting into the veterinary space and this huge company bought X number of veterinary clinics. And it does, it gets publicity. Um, it, you know, it gets, gets some of that sort of sexiness appeal to it where everyone's like, wow, th- this is an interesting industry to get involved in. Totally. And that speaks to our episode today and last week and everything we're doing on the vet project, the more educated we can then be to what's actually behind the scenes in detail allows us to not then buy into the fluff and then really know where we stand and be able to make right choices. And again, that's what you and I and everybody that we're sharing this with, that's what this is about. Live better intentional lives. How do we do that? Let's do that by actually knowing what is real, what's fluff, what actually runs as part of vet clinic. So this is no different episode. Okay. Well, let's dive in. Uh, First, to keep the the flow of the episodes, we got to go back to you for a quick tip. Man, he's putting me on the spot today. So quick tip for today is the 80-20 rule, Pareto's principle. It totally is in full effect with our conversation over the last two weeks. Uh, 80-20, which means 80% of your success and the details come from 20% of the work. Uh, However else you want to describe it, Pareto principle states 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes. In our world, this is something that I continually have to focus on because it's really easy to be skewed by the latest and greatest, um, the latest reactive issue, et cetera, and that will not move our businesses and our lives forward. So my quick tip, focus as much as possible on the 80-20. Nice. Okay. Well, let's dive in, Jonathan. Um, I feel like we, we have to open this episode very basic. What is EBITDA? 
What is EBITDA? So this goes back to our last episode when I asked if you have a dollar of revenue coming in, what is left that goes into the dollars po- goes back into the owner's pocket? It is not EBITDA. EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And in veterinary medicine and business, we talk about EBITDA as being something that above the line we can control. So all of those past expenses and revenue categories, we as business leaders, owners, et cetera, can control those inputs and outputs, which then lead to our EBITDA, which in essence is our net income line before we take apart depreciation, all of the other pieces that go into the EBITDA. So um, before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, those are things that we would term below the line, which then leaves us with our true final net income. And our net income is what ends up in our pocket. Okay. So let's Let's kind of break this down. So I'm just kind of repeating um, for, for the listeners because they're probably more, more at my speed is above the line, above that net income line, which we talked about last time, uh, payroll, cost of sales, and general admin. There's more categories, but those were kind of the big three. As clinic owners and managers, we can control those. And that is why this EBITDA metric is so important is because it is a reflection of the operational efficiency of a vet clinic, right? Because it's not worrying about what is the interest rate on your loan, right? Because that can be different clinic to clinic. So if I want to compare two clinics, apples to apples, I need to standardize the model. Am, am I saying this correctly, Jonathan? You, I couldn't have said it any better. If we're looking at purchasing a clinic, I want to look at that EBITDA line for that exact reason. I want to be able to compare as best as possible. So when we're doing evaluation and we're looking at a clinic, I want to bring it back to EBITDA in terms of evaluation. And I want to try and generalize what that looks like. And as a practice owner and business manager, clinic manager, et cetera, I can affect that EBITDA. So as an example, if I drop my cost of sales down by five points or 5%, that goes right down to EBITDA. That goes right down to that level because there's nothing below that that should affect that number, which is fantastic. If I am bringing in more revenue and don't have to hire anybody else, that number is going to go to EBITDA. And in this day and age, um, two, two ways that valuators look at, and again, I'm not a professional. This is my experience only. Go seek professional accounting lawyer if, if, you know, if, if you need further guidance. But valuators out there right now are looking at discounted cash flow model and EBITDA. And EBITDA right now in the veterinary space is the big one by which consolidators, other individuals are looking at purchasing clinics right now. And they'll look at it as a multiple of EBITDA. So not as a multiple of revenue, not that top line number, but as a multiple of EBITDA, what are you actually keeping in the practice that you can control? Okay. So I know we're going to dive into that super quick tangent on discounted cash flow. We're not going to dive into this, but just like, what is that? Just so we have the full picture. There's two sort of largely accepted models. EBITDA is the current more in favor one, but what is this discounted cash flow model? looking at future earnings and then pricing it back. 
So if I'm saying I'm earning X amount of dollars in the next five years, and there is a strict formula to that with terminal and all the rest of it, they bring it back to today's dollars and say, what is that worth? So on that cash flow, looking out a certain number of years, if I bring that back to today's dollars, because we know because of inflation and changes, those dollars become less worthy over time. I want to know what that dollar is in today's dollars. So it's discounted cash flow model. And then I'm willing to pay a premium on that, depending on the practice, how much I want it, who's in there, does it match with our strategy, all the rest come into that. Okay. Okay. So we're not really going to dive into that because you said that's not really the common practice currently. From my experience. From your experience. Not my experience. Okay. So using EBITDA to value a vet clinic, kind of walk us through some of that. So we've, we've kind of talked through some of the expenses, revenue. We land on this magical uh, net income EBITDA number. What can we do with that number now? I love that you said magical because at the <laughs> end of the day, depending on what's going on in the world, that can be a magical multiple. And we've heard all different things over the last couple of years as there's been some large consolidators. I'm not saying anything here that isn't public that have either been sold, have joined together to be, to buy and, and grow into bigger entities and or in the case of certain um, groups have gone private. And that number is represented by their EBITDA. And I caution people sometimes with the EBITDA number that's thrown out there because on surface, it can say, hey, I just got five times EBITDA for my clinic. I just got 15 times EBITDA on my clinic. And really, did you? Most of the time, the answer is no. Because when you go into the detail, details of which most people aren't sharing and they shouldn't, it's a legal document, all the rest of it, there is performance perspective related to that EBITDA number. There's trailing performance metrics. There's a long, how long does that owner stay in the practice for that affects that EBITDA number. There is metrics related to what does forward earnings look like for year, two years, three years out, depending on that deal. All deals are different. And so therefore in this day and age, it's easy to say, yeah, EBITDA numbers are inflated, which I would agree with right now. They're looking pretty spicy in this world because a lot of people want to be in the veterinary space. We know with COVID and everything else, low interest rates, that veterinary space is a very, very successful place to be right now. But take that with a grain of salt. Somebody tells you they got X number. There is more to it than just that number. And I just want to uh, back it up just in case anyone missed this. So when you say multiple, like, cause that gets thrown around all the time. What you are saying is it's a multiple of EBITDA. Let's use this example. My clinic EBITDA is a hundred thousand dollars. Now my clinic hasn't started yet, et cetera. So this is just example purposes only. My EBITDA number is a hundred thousand. A multiple would mean that if that whoever wants to buy my clinic says, I'm going to pay you five times, they're saying, I will pay you, again, in very simplistic terms, $500,000. So that is a five times multiple on the 100000 mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all the other stuff you said, I mean, that's very high level. There, there will be asterisks with different details and, and clauses that come in behind it. But I, I know that's what I see floating around all the time when someone's like, oh, this sold at this multiple, that multiple, that's the high level that people talk about. 
Yep, that's it. And if you go into the weeds on a PL and or looking at yeah, balance statements, et cetera, in um, sharing and, and consulting now with uh, friends and colleagues, um, keep your bank accounts clean, keep your PL statements clean. And what that means is don't go throw boats and cabins and other things into your business accounts because what we need to do then when we're looking and valuating that clinic is we're going to have to normalize it which means we have to bring what's an apples and oranges comparison and we need to bring it into apples to apples comparison. And just because you have that boat in there and you have all those extra expenses, which again, there's so many different things that come into this, keep it clean. It makes your life easier when you go to sell. It makes our life easier when we want to buy potentially. And that happens. And so that we have to, what's called normalize it. So when you think it's worth a hundred thousand and we come back and tell you, nah, it's actually only worth 60,000. The reason is we have to normalize it, get all that stuff out of there so we could compare apples to apples. And then we have a real EBITDA number or real valuation on that business from a P&L perspective. And that's all I'm speaking about right now is P&L, nothing related to equity, assets, shares, et cetera. That's a whole different discussion. So, so on that note, is it kind of... Um... I guess up for negotiation from our from our previous episode when you talked about the different expense categories. Say you're looking at buying a clinic, um, but one of their expense items, say cost of sales, cost of goods, is much higher than it should be. As a buyer, you'll normalize that to where it should be. I would assume, or how how does this work? Such a great question. Again, magical. So depending on who the purchaser is, they will have a normalization formula and they'll have a formula that they use and it's magical. We don't know. It's up to them to decide what that looks like um, as to what they think that cost of sales or cost of goods should be. And they also are going to have possible synergies that are involved. So therefore maybe they look at that number and go, well, we can drop that by X percentage. So we actually think that this EBITDA could be X amount and we're willing to pay a premium on that. Or wow, this clinic's uh, payroll costs are so low. Is there something I'm going to actually have to add in there based on how we practice, which means I actually have to drop that EBITDA because I'm going to have to add something or I'm going to have to add a couple people in that happens often. And so there is a lot of formula driving. There's a lot of details, a lot of research that has to go into that P and L, um, in order to understand what that end EBITDA number could be, should be. And it's magical. Okay. Okay. I have a few different, um, I'm going to let you pick here because um, where we want to go with this. One question I want to ask is if I was someone looking to buy a vet clinic and I'm listening to this episode and I'm like, holy wow, I don't know anything of what Jonathan is talking about. How would you approach that? Right? Like if you've never bought a vet clinic before, you know, you want to, um, Maybe I'll go, I'll leave that. And then another question. If no, we no, have time. I want to, I'm going to ask them that question first. Okay, That's an important one. Let's do it. So years of experience doing this. I started on that road just under two years ago. And it, it, it's awesome how much there is to learn. My first and only suggestion would be to reach out to professionals and those that know what they're doing. I have learned so much and don't pretend you know it or make it up because you'll get burned. Don't get burned spend the money. Don't be afraid. It's well worth it. I, I, this is an awesome world, but go, go seek professional help. Yeah. I assume that would be your answer. Cause there's the, the costs of making a mistake here, I assume can be massive. Five point difference on an EBITDA. 
can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of those things you want to get right. Uh, Jonathan and I were chatting uh, before we started recording just about stuff in our, in our personal lives and using different professionals and came to the, to the realization for like the 19th time in our life where it's like, man, just hire the good person right out of the gates. Right. Like over even if and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things. Cheaping out will, will just cost you money. Um, okay. So that was my one question. If someone's looking to buy, if someone's looking to sell, uh, you've already said, you know, keep your, your accounts clean, keep your statements clean. Um, what other stuff should they be thinking about, you know, as they're going to look to exit? So if they're looking to exit, there's many things that they can do without having to yet seek professional life and or seek professional judgment, et cetera, evaluation. Again, my experience only take, take it for what it is. Um, if you're looking at your P and L's and your numbers aren't where your EBITDA on a small animal practice is, you know, in that 20% range, if you're looking at it and it's in that five to 7% range, you have to figure out why it shouldn't be there. Plain and simple. There's work that you can do, whether it is payroll or cost of goods, look in those two first areas to start with. What does your cost of goods look like? Where is your inventory right now? How efficient you are you in your ordering processes? And what are, what's your slippage look like? What are you letting just walk out the door, waste away? Do you have a lease or, or, or some type of agreement for rent that is way out of whack? That's something we didn't talk about, which is important in that general and administrative expenses. If your rent as a percentage of revenue is much above 10%, why is that? So by year seven, et cetera, this is, you know, on, on, um, on aha, et cetera, you know, you should be sitting in that six, 7% range. If you're in that 12% range, to me, it sounds like you're not bringing in enough revenue. Do you need to do some cost of, do you need to do some invoice increases? Do you need to look at other revenue categories? Cause it's really simple profit minus expenses equal what, excuse me, revenue minus expenses equals your profit. There's, there's one of two areas to work on. And so if your numbers are down there from an EBITDA perspective, you can do some things and start looking at it. it takes a year or two to really start getting those organized. And if you spend that time, it's going to pay off. It's worth it. Yeah, I would, I would view that as a very high value activity, you know, to get that EBITDA number where it needs to be um, before an exit. I, Correct. I, I mean, just comparing this to the real estate space that I play in, um, you know, when, when I buy an apartment building that is just run down, like the owners don't care anymore and they've let everything slip, they leave so much money on the table, you know, where if, if they had spent like that planned a year or two in advance and got it to where it should be, you know, you'd make, you make so much more money. So very high value task. And I get sometimes a question, you know, what should that EBITDA number be? And I don't want to answer that. And I won't answer that on this podcast because it varies so much. It varies depending on the type of business, veterinary business you're in, what scope of practice that is. Uh, I have seen everything from far in the minuses to into the early 40s. EBITDA in the 40s. Yeah. Wow. Shock, shocking. I, I, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, that's not real. It was real. Wow. That's a wow. very, very efficient practice. And you've also seen negative. Oh. For sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, as we start to land this, there's, there's two more things. We, we promised that we were going to answer if a clinic earns a dollar, how much goes in the pocket. Um, I don't know too, do we want to spend a little bit of time below the line, right? Like we talk about EBITDA, it's before interest taxes, depreciation. So 
under the line, that's where that interest and tax and depreciation amortization comes in. And that's where your accountant comes in, right? Because you have depreciation, you have amortization. So depreciating on your assets that are in there, uh, amortization over capital spends that you've spent. Again, those are accounting questions and accountant questions as to how you split that out, what that looks like. Taxes, again, losses that you would have taken against disposal of assets, really important. But that's below the line, below the line, things that your accountant uh, needs to be involved in. As well, uh, if you're taking dividends out, so dividends, as opposed to a salary, salary fits into your employees and your payroll. Dividends fall below the line. And again, not a, not a tax professional, et cetera. Um, you need to speak with professionals in order to know how that then affects your net income at the end of the day. Um, so those are all important pieces. Uh, and I'll say it over and over, seek professional help. Um, because at the end of the day, you want to be able to carry, you know, if, if you're making a hundred dollars and you can carry eight to $10 back into your pocket, fantastic. Okay. Yep. On well, top of the dividends that you pay yourself out and those dividends can vary. You can do very well as a, a veterinary owner in this day and age, I believe. Okay. So, I mean, as we're kind of wrapping this here, is that the answer to the question? Eight to ten dollars. If a clinic, or well, if a clinic brings in one dollar, so I guess it would be cents. But yeah. what what is reasonable? And I know you said there's a massive range from negative all the way into the forties. You know what would just be very reasonable? Yeah, but that negative into the forties is on EBITDA, right? So you still got everything else that's got to come out of there. And really, the higher your EBITDA is, the higher the tax rate's going to be, and everything else that goes into it. So in my view, if you're making in that low tens, you know net income all in taxes paid, uh, you're doing pretty well. Nice. Yep. Yeah. And so that means, you know, for, for your, your first or second year employee that thinks that the owner's bringing in 60 cents on the dollar, we have to have a discussion on what's reality because it actually could be eight cents and below. Yeah. We are a, we are a very cost intensive business. This is not a cheap business to run. Mm -hmm. And I, I find a massive disconnect here, you know, in talking uh, both in the veterinary space and then also with like clients, not in the veterinary world. I don't think this number, this range of numbers is known. Everyone thinks it is way, way, way higher. I'd agree with you. And I think that's incumbent on us to be able to do exactly what we're doing here uh, the practices I'm involved with, I have to share this more have yeah. to, it's so yeah. important that people know actually what's going on just as much as what we've talked to previously with veterinarians, knowing what they're producing and what that then actually leads to the bottom line of a clinic that creates buy-in that creates reality. And that's why then people will take onus on not ensuring there's expired product, you know, food, walking out the door, all the other things that happen in a day-to-day -day practice. Yeah. In my view. Nice. Okay, yeah. right on, Jonathan. I know we're going to do uh, more of these because you have so much to deliver. Uh, we're not going to do an official impact round here, um, but I will uh, give you the last word on this topic just to wrap up kind of this little two-part uh, series that we did. Uh, so your, your last thoughts on EBITDA or wherever you want to take it. Yeah, my last word on income statements. Again, one of the three majors, which is the only one we focused on. Um, I said this to so many clinic managers already is don't be afraid of it. These numbers are intimidating. They're scary. The more you look at it, the more often you look at it, the more they start to make sense. And it is 
very much sim- more simple than what um, we give it kudos to. And this is very doable. And in a veterinary business, if you can control the factors we've discussed, you're going to be more successful. You're going to be able to bring more people in. You're going to be able to buy better equipment. You're going to sell it for more in the end. We all win. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.